Morning Show, Sportsnet 59, the fan, Ben Ennis, Brent Gunning. True. No Italian-American talk today, but we did just see our boss, Ryan Favreau, and I gave him the Tommy DeVito, mm, whatever they call that, yeah, the finger thing. We didn't get to the Tommy DeVito. Uh, Does the finger thing no longer mean the taxes? Maybe it means no. being Italian. It's, I don't know. Maybe. I don't know. But yeah, he uh, he did attend the pizzeria in New Jersey that it seemed that he would not attend because his rate went from 10 Gs to 20 Gs. Anyways, secondary story. Main story du jour is the poor Toronto Maple Leafs did not benefit from fortune yesterday. They were on the receiving end of some bad fortune. Three bizarro bouncing puck goals for the Rangers in a 5-2 loss at Scotiabank Arena. They're next in action tomorrow in Buffalo against a reeling Sabres team, by the way. Just yeah. gave up nine goals to the Columbus Blue Jackets. Yuck. And uh, their head coach um, is very much on tenterhooks as the fans were chanting for his removal at the conclusion People of, been of doing yesterday's that game. a lot this year. The, the what Channing for yeah, the coaches to well, be fired both. like chanting and firings yeah there's been four in season and that does not include the Mike Babcock firing yeah. before the season again it just does that count in your opinion or no I, I I've been on different, record as saying it different, doesn't different count bucket. like you Agreed. have to you have to be on the bench for an actual game for for okay. you to count in in my in season uh, coaching firing discussion I will say that like. <laughs> Yeah, that felt like a, a game that you can't come back from. And like, you actually, Don Granato has to go. But because it's, we're, we're now, by the way, it's the holiday roster freeze is in effect. It mm-hmm. went into effect at midnight last night. Do you imagine and, some GM on the phone? They're like, nope, ah, it's 11.59. Yeah. Talk to you in two weeks. Probably not. <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I feel like the Sabres aren't going to pull the trigger on anything until after the Christmas break. Like, that is would, that fair to say? I don't. I don't know. I mean, we've seen the opposite in this market specifically where a coach has got a contract extension right around, I forget mm-hmm. what the particulars of, Christmas Eve, New Year's Eve, Christmas Day, Boxing Day, whatever it was when Ron Wilson got it. We've also seen a coach be fired with the reason explicitly given of, I cannot allow this right. coach to coach in that building again. Right. So we've kind of seen both sides of the coin here mm-hmm. uh, regarding that. I do think that that you would, the whole point of the coaching change is you want the dead cat bounce, you want that. And I do wonder if the easiest way to do that is to have it be a fresh restart after the Christmas break. You know, mm. teams are going to play on the 23rd and then they're off for three, four days. And not that the coach is going to be doing a ton of work with the players in that time, but I think that that would be the time it would make sense to do it. And most importantly, not before they play the Toronto Maple Leafs. Yeah, and let's bring it back around to the Toronto Maple Leafs because the Buffalo Sabres, just like the New York Rangers, they have their own first overall selection uh, impacting that team. Yeah. And and not like you want to give up on Rasmus Dallin. He's far from the problem there. Or Owen Power, for that matter, too. Yeah, yeah, that's right. They got a couple of them. Uh, Alexis Lafreniere, okay. Uh, less so uh, a part of what's gone right for the Rangers. But in this discussion about luck mm-hmm. and the overall luck of things over the last seven years in the postseason and all the winner-take-all games that this Leafs team has lost, all the overtime games that they have lost. Yep. All the, the the seemingly coin flip moments that could have gone their way to result in at least a normal discussion about this team before they won a round for the first time last year in a in a six game series where yeah. they were outplayed by the Tampa Bay Lightning. It must be said that organizationally there is a level there is a there is an element of good luck mm-hmm. that this Leafs team decided to bottom out at the time in which they did. Yep, and not only that. But despite the fact that the odds were in their favor to win 
the lottery to draft Austin Matthews that they did it. Not every team with the most lottery balls does nope. it. That they wanted, and it was the Austin Matthews draft. Like it wasn't the Connor McDavid draft, which they, they had an opportunity to also win. But yeah, like it wasn't even Nico Heischer, who's a, a nice like Selkie level player. But yeah, yeah, it wasn't the Alex Lafreniere draft. That it was a draft in which you get maybe the greatest goal scorer in the history of the NHL, at least five on five. Yeah, I mean, you want to you want to talk about luck? Look at the Montreal Canadiens, and you could say uh, maybe they made their own luck by mm. taking Slavkovsky there, and I would agree with that. But that is part and parcel of it as well. I mean, you know, Shane Wright—he was the guy who everyone thought was going to be one in that draft, and he's far from a slam dunk guy. So, yeah, I mean, I think the three—if we're just going to do the well, the Leafs were in the in that realm of the McDavid, Matthews, and Bedard. Those are obviously the three luckiest you can get but you could definitely make the argument and to your to the point we're having off air i don't know that it's much of one that the leafs were the second luckiest of those teams i mean yes you'd rather have mcdavid but everything else you're you're laughing that you have matthews compared to all those guys yeah and it's actually resulted in regular season wins which you can scoff at all you want but look at the sabers look at the senators look at some of those other teams that have lots of high draft picks uh that uh are not making the playoffs uh time now for our insider Brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom. Visit DonValleyNorthLexus.com. Today's insider is our Leafs historian, Damian Cox. He's also author of Revival, (laughs) The Chaotic, Colorful Journey of the 1977-78 Toronto Maple Leafs. Available for purchase right now. How's it going, Damian? (laughs) Things are going very well. Are we going to have a draft conversation? I love draft conversations. In fact, you know, yesterday, sorry, but I was just going to say that... uh, you had news yesterday, Nolan Patrick retired. And Nolan Patrick was Holy the sec- second pick yep. of the 2017 draft. And the Flyers could have taken, uh, well, they couldn't have taken uh, Nico Hisha. He, he went one to New Jersey. But the, then, they then could have taken Miro Heskinen, Kale McCarr, Elias Patterson. Instead, they took Nolan Patrick. That was a bit of an iffy jump at the time, and then he got hurt. He had migraine problems, and now he's out of hockey. So, you know, as much as – and we're going to hear it going into the World Juniors, and this guy's going to be – they're all superstars and stuff. Mm-hmm. They're not all superstars. You do have choices to make, and I think you're exactly right on – if you're going to be lousy, be lousy in the correct year because it may not – otherwise it may not pay off. In, in quite the way you did. But look, if Flyers make another choice that year, yeah. look at them now. And, you know, who knows? I mean, the guys who got fired may not have got fired <laughs> simply because of a, a draft pick that didn't work out for them. Yeah, and I forget the particulars of it, but somebody in that front office, I think it was, was it Hexall, Bobby Clark, somebody was loudly screaming, I wanted Bacar just for the record there. So, yeah, it is a, mm. such a such a sliding doors moment. And, yeah, it's it's crazy. I'm, I'm happy you brought that up because, yeah, I think that did slide under a lot of people's radar that Patrick retired, yeah. yeah. I, didn't, I didn't see that. But, yeah, I, that's, that is... Man, and, it, okay, so we've been talking about luck a lot today, Damien. Yeah. And, and there is some element of luck to that, certainly injuries in, in regards to... Nolan Patrick, I mean, performance uh, when he was healthy would lead you to believe that was the wrong choice either way. But uh, also, you're supposed to be smart enough to identify him as not being worth uh, worthy of selection second overall. But how, listen, as our Leafs historian, as, as a man that's been in sports media as long as you have... How do you how do you how do you have the the luck conversation around pro sports? Because so clearly in this sport in particular, it's a huge part of it, man. Like 
The, the number yeah. of winner-take-all games the Leafs have lost over the last seven years, the number of overtime playoff games that they've lost, colors the entire discussion about how they're fatally flawed. That's true, but, like, yeah, they, there must be something that is quantifiable that it there's like a, a balance there and and how do you how do you find the balance of discussing luck as opposed to what you can control well i think i think you you find the balance if you're a, a, the team by doing what you what a lot of teams now including the least are is you try to build the most sustainable team you can for the longest period of time and you hope your number comes up i mean back back in the original six days it was much less about luck because Toronto and Montreal controlled so much of the talent that then existed in the professional hockey world. So, the, I mean, the, 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 you know, the dice were loaded that they were going to get have. Uh, so it required a lot less luck because they just had better players and more access to better players. It was a lot harder for Boston and the Rangers um, to, to win Stanley Cups than it was for Toronto and Montreal. Now, 32-team league, you know, you've got uh, an entry draft that's been going on for a long time. You have cap. Um, you have multiple levels of cap. And you have, um, you know, different track uh, tax structures that make players want to go to different places. The ability to build and keep uh, a, a great team is very limited. And uh, so, you know, you, you need lots of, uh, of, of luck. And I, and I would argue, really, what you need, if luck is health, then you need health. Um, you know, if you have a season like the Cleveland Browns are having, they need a lot of luck because they're just getting murdered on the health front. So if you're going to be a team like Vegas, your run comes when your guys are most healthy and they win the cup. Um, so, you know, I, I guess it, define, it depends what you define as health. I mean, preparedness tends to lead to good luck, right? Um, you know, as what do they always say? I work so hard, I can't believe how lucky I am. Yeah. Right. Um, you know, and, and I think that's part of it. Um, is goaltending luck? It. Is it is it lucky to have a good goaltender? Because, you know, like one of the fancy stats that people point to as being the, the, the biggest indicator of luck is PDO, which combines your your mm -hmm. team save percentage and your team shooting percentage. And if you're above a thousand, oh, well, you're lucky because you got good goaltending and your, your, your shooter shot it in the net. Like, okay, uh, how do you feel about discussing goaltending and shooting percentage as luck? Yeah, I mean, I, I and look, I mean, last night's a great indication, right? That, that game last night, four, the four of the four New York Ranger goals that really mattered, three bounced off league players. Of the two, you know, the Leafs get two, and they're both clean shots. Is that luck, or is that, you know, for goalies, they'll tell you, you got a lot of it is you got to just get, you got to be in position to get fit, um, or you know, and, and different things, and then there's coordination between the other, so. You know, I guess it, it depends what you define as luck. Um, That's what I'm asking uh, you. Know. you. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm trying to sort it through <laughs> in my mind right now, goaltending. You see, because goaltending is also about conditioning and technique. So I, I would say, yeah, I mean, I'd say, of, yeah, I'd say part of it is luck. But, you know, part of it is luck. I mean, you were talking about Alexis Lafreniere. He scores that goal last night. It is a terrible shot. Yeah. It's not going anywhere near the net. <laughs> and it bounces off it bounces off Morgan Riley and and goes past Martin Jones. So and all of the all the stats will say, Oh, he broke it. I think he hadn't scored an eleven or twelve. What a shot. What a great player. You know, you know, and all that sort of stuff. That's complete luck. But that's 
you know, that, that's hockey too. As I often say to my wife, and she brings it up everyone, uh, I think it's the one pearl of wisdom she's retained from our thousand-year marriage is that uh, the most underrated element in hockey is that the ice is slippery. In other words, <laughs> you can't you can't account for everything because of the way you're dealing on a, a slippery service with with a puck that's going really really fast. Yeah, I don't, and also, I don't know how many pearls of wisdom you've been giving. Like, maybe she's batting a 1,000 on maintaining them, and that's the one. Well, like, I, I, don't, I like to think there's more than that, but I don't, I, I don't know. Like, have you, do you think you give out uh, too many pearls there or, or enough, uh, Damien, like, in terms of well, it? Like, I hear that, yeah. and I go, I don't know. Maybe you gotta, maybe you got to extend a little more wisdom, Damo. Or how many is she hearing? Like, she walks around <laughs> this house with her earplugs in a lot. Yeah, I've so, heard. you know, and then so no, no. So, it, it it is uh, it, uh, look. Hockey people have been having prayers of wisdom for a long time, haven't they? And how many of them are true? So we all have our own. Yeah, no, uh, my uh, I'm sure my wife just reflexively heard the earplugs idea and went, mm, not bad, might need to mix that in. Uh, you know, it's funny, the thing we were talking about as well with the luck thing is, you know, so much of our perception of the way teams are viewed is, yes, we watch the games and we have our own perception, but, it, you know, mm-hmm. there are end-of-year press conferences for a reason. And, you know, I don't, they, they don't look at it this way necessarily, but it's so the front office can spin what they thought they saw. And, you know, there are multiple reasons for this, but... You'll never hear a front office. You'll hear it in a one-off game. Sheldon Keefe can talk about it last night and go, eh, we were unlucky a little bit tonight. You look at three of those goals, what do you want us to do? But you'll never hear a team at the end of the season go, well, we were just unlucky. We didn't get the breaks. But I think there have been plenty of years with this Leafs team where, especially at the end, you can point to it and just say that. How much of you think our perception as people who watch it and care about it is colored by the fact that the people who make these decisions seem to be so against acknowledging it in the grand scheme of things. Well, I think they know that if they if they offer that up as an excuse, no one's going to buy it, yeah. right? Everybody wants an explanation. Um, I mean, look, you could argue after a Toronto series against Tampa last spring that Tampa could have come out and said, we just had bad luck. For we sure. were all over those guys, right? Um, and I think in some ways that's why that series doesn't seem to have had the impact on Leaf fans that it might have because I think a lot of Leaf fans look at that and go, mm, I don't know about that one. Um, but the funny thing about sports, I always find, is the the explanation, the narrative is usually built by what the result is. Mm-hmm. So, like last night, is uh, I'm talking about Lafreniere goal. You know, the Rangers won because this kid who had been struggling scored a goal, and that's what they need is they need some of their other guys to score a goal. That's not exactly what happened. And one of the things when you go back and look at like have done with the books on 1967 and 1978 product placement here mm-hmm. um, is, is you go back and you look at those games and you realize what people often think happened didn't actually happen, but it was the way it was presented at the time, particularly at a time when it was mostly newspapers, right? Mm-hmm. So you had a guy there, he saw what you, it was always a he, uh, he saw what, what he saw and then told you. And then you go back and go, that's not exactly what happened. <laughs> and so I think everybody demands an explanation and luck is never the explanation that anybody wants to either present or accept. Yeah, it's a big part of it, though. And, and I, I think it's fine for us to acknowledge it. You're right. The people in charge shouldn't acknowledge it because they're getting paid many millions of dollars to, to take that out of the equation. And it sounds like an excuse. 
if they use it, but clearly there's an element of that over the last seven years for the Toronto Maple Leafs. Yeah, they were outplayed in six games against Tampa last year. How about two years ago when they were the better team and lost in seven? The uh, lightning, but they got respect in the handshake line. All right. Uh, Austin Matthews now on pace for over 70 goals again. This is an era in in the NHL in which you can score 60. Like, it, it, it's it's happening a lot now, right? And, and and Connor McDavid did it a season ago. We've already seen Austin Matthews do it. Nobody scored 70, though, since Timu scored 76 in 92-93. Is that like the new 60? Do you think we could be mm-hmm. in an era in which that is gettable? Well, we know save percentages are down a little bit and scoring's up a little bit. So, to me, that's always good news. More goals is always good good news for hockey. You know, Jeff Merrick used to talk about this a lot. About, about 10 years ago, he starts saying, you know, offensive players are starting to work on offense more and a more, um, like, particularly young players' prospects in a more targeted way than they ever did. You know, it used to be, pound pucks against you know an old uh, an old washer dryer like Sidney Crosby did now you know there's so much more um science behind offensive hockey shooting the puck um what you have to do and I I think to some degree it's paying off I mean we identify players and prospects today as so much better than they were and they are but they're also training in a different way particularly offensive hockey I mean those goals he's that Matthew scored last night I mean those are ridiculous goals. I mean, the, the high level of skill required to do those things that he that he does. I mean, hockey players just get better and better and better and better. And I, I think you could say that Austin Matthews can do things now that, say, even Alex Ovechkin couldn't do when he first came in the league. His game was so much about pure power, and, and the game was different. So... You know, these guys are special, special, special. It's still real hard to score in the league. And then there's these guys who just seem to do it almost easily, and and it kind of defies explanation. And that's the best one I've got for you, is that somewhere along the line, they train in such a way that what we once perceived as highly unusual or almost lucky, you know, a shot under the crossbar, is now – what they're exactly what they're trying to do all the time. Yeah, I think there's there's definitely something to that and you know, this is we're we're a few years into this now, but it's even something as simple as just these guys are born with these composite sticks in their hand, right? Like, you know, yeah. Sidney Crosby's roughly the same age as me and I remember a lot of changes in stick technology and it's, you know, not to say it's not oh. getting better and better, but you you look at it and you you just see it. Connor Bedard has never shot with anything other than a stick that's supposed to move exactly in that way. Austin Matthews I'd imagine's in a in a pretty similar mold. Like it, it is crazy to think, you know, we talk talk a lot about yeah the training and all of that but it is something to just growing up with this version of of hockey as opposed to even a guy like Crosby who you know the game changed so much from when he came into the league to what it is now never mind what it was when he was growing up as a 10 year old well and a couple other things guys I think get forgotten along the way uh when the league had the strike in 2004-2005 wiped out the season they changed the rules um, and a couple of really important things happened during that time. Smaller players began to be back in the league in more significant numbers because, you know, uh, the uh, uh, you know the interference and a lot of that the hooking was taken out of the game. Goons went out of the games. Smaller players um, came back in the game. So a player like Mitch Marner, you know, he probably would have been a player in any era, but it was a lot easier, uh, easier for him to be a player in this era than it was in 1995. So that was the one thing. The other thing is, 
and this never gets talked about. They expanded the offensive zone. They moved the blue line 10 feet back towards center ice. So the area in which uh, you can attack in is bigger than it was, significantly bigger than it was. And that's why I think the thing that really catches my eye in in modern hockey as opposed to like 1975 Mm. is how long, how long teams can maintain possession in the offensive zone. It's, It's kind of incredible. So you combine that with smaller guys with a super high level of skill and a bigger area to work in, and that changes gradually, you know, what they can do, off, you know, offensively mm. uh, as well. So I think the game has changed, the equipment has changed, the skates have changed, and the, and I think finally what we're seeing is some nights, not all nights, but some nights we see hockey at what it's supposed to be, which is super fast, super physical, and super skilled. Yeah. Yeah, the, the the invention of the forward pass in, in the NHL, was, that was a big deal when that happened. You remember when that it happened, was, right? I, I Yeah, it yeah. was when I saw it. I said, this will never last. And, we, <laughs> and, and, you know, why are they taking out the rover? But they did. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's working so far. Uh, playing the role of Leafs historian, uh, hockey historian, he is Damien Cox. Thanks, Damo. Uh, happy holidays. Merry Christmas. All right, you too. Uh, great chatting with you guys uh, off and on these days. I've had a lot of fun. You guys have a great Christmas, and we'll talk to you probably in the new year, if not before. Sounds good, Damon. Uh, this is Damian Cox, author of Revival, the chaotic, colorful journey of the 1977-78 Toronto Maple Leafs. He was our uh, insider, brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online. And in the showroom, visit Don Valley North Lexus.com. So it's, it's incredible that Austin Matthews is on pace for 70 goals. Mm-hmm. You know what's almost equally incredible? What? Is that he's not running away with the rocket no. race. No, like, no, 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 no. He's got 25, just two more than Brock Besser. Yeah. So they were tied yesterday. Now, I will say uh, Brock Besser's played five more games than him. So maybe in five games, it will feel like Austin Matthews uh, is running yeah, away with like it. it's like 10 goals for Matthews, the way he's going. Yeah. <laughs> so, I just... But, like, there's a bunch of guys, again, on pace for 60. Like, 60 yep. is no big deal anymore. It is. It does color what Matthews did that he broke the sound barrier. It's like, he's Roger Bannister. He runs the four minute mile. And then it was almost like when Roger Bannister, I know everyone remembers when he ran the broke, the four minute barrier on the mile, but then everybody started doing it Mm because they realized it's possible. And I'm sure it is some element of everything. Damien just talked about there is goaltending getting a little worse. Yes. As offensive players getting a little better. Yes. But I also think there's some element of, Oh, okay. We can do that. Because it's not lost on me that McDavid does it the very next year. Pasta does it the very next year. Chris Kreider, super close. I don't think he actually got there, but he was super close last year as well. Chris Kreider, not a guy we think of in that regard. You want to talk about luck playing a part of it? Chris Kreider with a nearly 60-goal season. That's lucky. Austin Matthews doing it feels a little different. So, yeah, I'd, I, I think it would be an incredible thing for us, obviously, in the city to have to talk about a chase for 70 but I think it'd be something for the league as well. Like, what do we, you know, nothing's going to be Maguire and Sosa of the year of their home run chase. Wow. But how awesome would it be if Matthews has a, it's like he just broke a barrier we thought yeah. was unassailable. And three years, late, two years later, he's 
10 goals beyond that, if that's a thing, well, it's so is... much hockey left. It is so hard to do. I do not want to get ahead of myself, but it doesn't feel insane to mention the possibility of 70, and that is kind of proof positive. All you need to know about how dominant he's been. Well, does it sound insane for, like, Wayne Gretzky's 92 goals one day to be within reach? Like, yeah. is it? Yeah. Is it? No, that's So that's never going to happen, right? Like, I, I, like, look at the, the games. Mm-hmm. Like, they look so different. And, yep. yeah, slap shot from the point had, uh, what, like a 50-50 yeah. chance of going in? Or, or just fake the slapper and go yeah. around the goalie who's in the circle. <laughs> right. But also, but look at the trend line of NHL scoring. And it, it, we went a decade without a 60-goal score, and yeah. then Austin Matthews did it, and now everybody's doing it in 64, no big I, deal. And, like, if he gets to 70, like, okay, 80's next. There, I would love for somebody, <laughs> uh, so long as it's not David Pasternak, to prove me wrong about this one day. But I cannot see a world where we even have somebody sniffing 92. What if Austin Matthews scores a couple of hat tricks in his next couple of games? I'm still going to say that 92 goals is insane. Well, yeah. yeah. It's insane. Ben. Yeah. It's not, it's not sane, but so 70, 70 is insane. Yeah, it is. It's, you're right. But, but that's so much more. <laughs> like a, that's a, a whole, nine, the gap between and like sh- no shots meant to the player, but like that's a whole Mitch Marner season of goals. Right. I know he had 35 last year, <laughs> yeah. but I don't think that's going to be the, no. the number he settles at most years. <laughs> And Mitch Marner's like, he's really good at hockey. Yeah. It's a whole year of his goals mm-hmm. to add to a 70-goal season, <laughs> which we would see as the most incredible yeah. feat in recent NHL history. Regular season edition, because I know you're all going to yeah. come for me. But no, Ben, no. I, I, mean, I love play that game. you put this in my head. They're going to play a game tomorrow against a team that just gave up no, nine No, you're goals. right. And what we know about the say, like, do you honestly think the Sabres are not going to be the most buttoned-down, mm-hmm. lock-it-up group God, in the history is, of mankind what tomorrow? What is the Leafs' record against the Sabres over these seven years, too? It feels like it's, it's at best, 500. Yeah, but they always are high-scoring games, actually, mm-hmm. just to lead into your point. They had an O'Reilly hat trick in, mm-hmm. in one of them last year. That's Tavares right. has had big games against the Sabres. So, yeah, stranger things have happened, but I... Uh, I I don't like it when you put me in the position of being, oh, Austin Matthews is never going to accomplish this because mm. I genuinely think the sky's the limit for him. But I guess 92 goals is is above that because, yeah, that's, sky, then 92 goals. That's like into the stratosphere. Yeah, it is. Okay. It's like, I don't know. I'm not ruling anything out. I am. I'm not. Okay. All right. Who Late- will be right? Probably me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, we have an exciting announcement for the WWE Universe. The WWE is making their return to Toronto on Friday, December 29th at the Coca-Cola Coliseum as part of their annual live holiday tour. We're giving away tickets this week. To enter, all you have to do is tune into the Fan Morning Show, listen for the code word, then text it to 59590. Today's code word is Rhodes. Text Rhodes to 59590 to enter for your chance to win a pair of tickets to this event. Giving away another pair of tickets tomorrow. But if you don't win with us, make sure to go to Ticketmaster.ca to secure your tickets. When we come back, Luke Gazdick, Sportsnet NHL uh, analyst. As the Fan Morning Show continues, Ben Annis, Brent Gunning, Sportsnet 590 The Fan. Everything Raptors before and after the games. The Raptor Show with Will Liu. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Fan Morning Show, Sportsnet 590, the fan, Ben Ennis, Brent Gunning. All right, so uh, I opened Pandora's box with the Wayne Gretzky 92 goals thing. Yeah, idiot. (laughs) 
is that wrong? The, What's wrong with you? Is that the current belt holder for the most unbreakable record? Because it used to be 61 homers, right? And then that was... <laughs> I mean, they were mitigating circumstances. I know Clearly. What? what? Yeah. There weren't... People didn't do steroids in baseball, did they? Yeah, what? Is, is that now the... The no, thing that is oh is for blue. one season, yeah. Oh, okay. Because I was like, uh, Wayner career is still the most unassailable mm-hmm. one. But yeah, well, I, and the goals thing appears to be unassailable too because so, everybody else is scoring a million goals except for Alex Ovechkin, yeah, who's going in reverse. That certainly makes it uh, a lot, a lot tougher. Yeah, I, I do. Off the top of my head, I, I feel like that's it. I know. I, I'm trying to think. I think there's some like ridiculously high. John Stockton, like assist per game number that I would have a hard time imagining an NBA player get just like with how ball dominant guys score now, as opposed to run an offense all the time. That one jumps out to mind, but I don't even know if that is the record. I just feel like I heard that somewhere in the ether once, but yeah, Wayner off the top of my head, 92 goals feels pretty unassailable. I did want to just read a text here. Our boy, Jeff and Barry. Uh-huh. Yeah. The year Matthew scored 60 he only played 73 games. What if he plays 82? Well, that can't happen. He's already missed one uh so 81 I, I think we got to look at matthews as kind of a 70 ish a game year guy and guess what as long as he plays all of them in the playoffs mm-hmm. do not care sure 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 but uh yeah also score 70 during the regular season that'd be cool all right let's talk to luke gazdick uh former nhl forward sportsnet nhl analyst and host of the mitts off podcast how's it going luke good fellas how you doing this morning do it do all right hold Bye. on before ben asks you a question can you tell him Ben, he's insane that nobody's going to score 92 goals anytime I, I in an NHL season. I didn't say someone's going to score 92 goals. I'm just saying, like, 60 felt like, oh, my God, uh, impossible. Now it's like, it's going to happen yet again, and maybe Austin Matthews is going to score 70. Like, what happens in 10 years? Yeah, I don't know. 92 is pushing it, boys. <laughs> but 70 is 70 sounds about attainable for this guy right now, honestly. Yeah, I mean, he's on pace for more than 70. What is it? Five or well, three straight games, multi-goal games. Uh, He's got a quadrillion goals in his last five, uh, a zillion in his last seven. No, he's 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 really good. He's already scored uh, 60 in a season. I'm just saying, Luke, like if you just, you know, you extrapolate the the trend line of NHL scoring, like where where does it where does it cap? Like, I, I don't know. I didn't think I'd be talking about somebody post lockout scoring 70 goals, but it feels like it's on the table. Yeah. I just think anything above a goal per game pace pretty much is insane. (laughs) And I hope, I truly hope we see it someday, but uh, it's just insanity to even think about that. But honestly, like I said before, if there's anyone that can do it, it's this guy because he is unreal to watch. Yeah, and I think there's some element of the fact that Matthews did it the next year. McDavid's at 64, Pasta eclipses it and gets to 61. Like once you see somebody cross that threshold, it's only human nature that the best of the best say, "Hmm, why? Why exactly can't I do that?" And you know, it's not quite the same thing. But I think back to well, it was the season McDavid had last year when I when he said, mm, "I think I'll win the Rocket." Sidney Crosby had one of those early in his career too, where he said, "You know what?" I'm a really complete player, but let's go win the goal scoring title because I can do that. It is it is kind of remarkable with these truly, you know, I, I guess not one of one, but, you know, elite all-time talent type guys that when they really set their mind to something, I mean, you, you can see it. And, you know, I, I do want to keep it on the lease for a second here, but just from Matthews, what have you seen out of him this year? You know, we've been trying to do the thing of, is this a better version of him than in years past? I mean, this is definitely a version, a better version than the 40-goal guy we got last year. But what have you seen of his evolution I mean, it's guy who scored four goals in his first game. So I, it's, it's easy to say it hasn't gotten any better, but I think we all, we'd all agree it has. 
Yeah, it's pretty fun to watch right now. And I think, you know, in, in adding to what you just said earlier, I think we kind of forget sometimes how competitive these guys really are. Uh, I, I got the opportunity to play and I actually lived with McDavid um, when he was a rookie. And just watching guys like that up close in person and knowing how cognizant they are of everything that's happening around the league and guys that they were very competitive of and wanted to beat, um, not just in stats, but in the standings and all that. Um, it's a real fire in them. I know Connor was that way. I know Taylor Hall was that way. And I'm sure Austin, as as cool and collected as he sounds in interviews and seems like, I'm sure he's the same way too. But he's just a joy to watch right now. And uh, to be honest, I, I look at how much I think he's in goalies' heads too. I think Shesterkin's a perfect example of that. Mm. I loved um, the other day in New York, and he goes down. And I, I think every goalie automatically thinks He's going to be shooting high all the time and he's mixing it up, shooting five hole. And you can clearly tell with goalies reactions that he's in their heads now. So they're trying to do pre-scout. They're watching tape on these guys. There's so much video these days that I can guarantee you opposing goaltenders are sitting there watching his goals from not only this year and last year, trying to watch and see what kind of patterns and habits he's developing, but he keeps them guessing all the time. Uh, it's never kind of a standard way that he's scoring goals. It's pretty much when you get the puck, when he gets the puck on his stick, goalies are trying to figure out, they're looking at his blade, looking at his feet, and he's just keeping them guessing every time. It's uh, it's like I said, it's it's pretty impressive to watch right now. Yeah, it's not bad. Okay, and it's hilarious to think about that in that preseason media tour, he was talking about Shesterkin being the one goalie that, yeah, he's kind of not solved yet, and it seems like he's solving him pretty well uh the last couple of weeks uh, against the rangers they were also showing on the broadcast the shesterkin glove uh high glove thing yesterday which is like yeah scoring high on goalies is generally a, a good idea but the fact that like against you know you rate his save percentage high glove against the other goalies in the national hockey league that it's 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 well below average and that it's trending in a direction that he's facing more shots in that area. Do you think, like, there is an element of people figuring out Igor, Igor uh, Shesterkin right now? Uh, 100%. I remember, where was I? Uh, it might have been Edmonton, to be honest, um, where we had a video in the gym of both the opposing goalies we were playing on the daily, so almost pretty much every game we were playing, but in the morning, especially when guys are in there kind of getting what they needed, rolling out, stretching, getting a little warm-up in, um, just a roll of every single goal that had been scored on the opposing goalies throughout that year. And you just watched it on a loop. So you'd come back in half an hour later and whatever, you'd be seeing the same things again. But our coach did that on purpose so that you were seeing these things and you could watch and see trends in, in real time. And it, it's, it's where guys kind of stop and stare. And if there's a goal that, that they think they can replicate, they'll try. And then you start to see trends like that. And I, I mean, every team's different, but we always had prep for most teams I played for prep from our goalie coach uh, on a pre-scout on their goalies as well. So we would go, it would go head coach with uh larger concept stuff. And then the assistant coach, we go over some PP, your other coach is going through PK. And then our goalie coach would go through trends for their goalies. And, Sometimes show video, but say, hey, this is where he's weak. Stats say shoot here. And guys really take uh, take pride in that. 
Yeah, that's uh, that that's interesting. It's funny when you said that. I was thinking of just the like psychological aspect of I would personally like to watch video all day of a goalie I'm going to shoot on being beat just all day long leading up to the game. That would put me in a very good kind of kind of headspace. But yeah, obviously the scouting aspect of it as well. Uh, I got to ask you about the Sabers and the I mean tire fire that it is right now. Nine four last night. Uh, you don't like losing that way to anybody. You certainly don't like it against the Jackets. Uh, seats getting a little hot for Don Granado. I'd I'd imagine there. It's just, it's been another one of these years. Red Wings have taken a bit of a step, but where we're sitting there looking in the Atlantic going, okay, Sabres, Sens, have at it. It's your turn. It's your time. And and neither of them seeming to be able to take the leap this year. Yeah, it's, to, to be honest, between them and probably the Sens, it's the most disappointing team for me, just in terms of teams that I Gotta thought be, were going to yeah. take take a step forward uh, with the encore they have. And I, I will be the first to admit, like one of my predictions, I didn't say Levi for Calder, but it was Bedard, but it was a very close second. I kind of had this idea that Devin Levi was going to have this incredible stellar rookie campaign. And he's been good at times, but had to go down to Rochester and spend some time there. They haven't found a goaltender that can get them saves consistently. I think they're 29th in save percentage in the league. They're not top 10 at any statistical categories in a good way they don't score goals they can't keep goals out of their net like everything that can go wrong for this team can and i don't know why now that i look at the roster i'm like why did i think this team was going to be better (laughs) you know i have the exact same thought luke i'm looking at it i'm going down and looking at their lines and I, i think that's why this is kind of like my first full endeavor into into hockey media i mean i was in there last year but this is my first full year where i really jumped into it head first and i think i got caught up in it too where everyone's kind of pumping the sabers and saying you know look at how they finished last year and this and that and the young core is going to take another step and they sign these guys to the big long deals and then i'm looking at like their lines and and their stat leaders and i'm going why what why did we think this was going to be different because of devin levi and Jeff Skinner, like I'm sore. I love Skins. I think he's a, I think he's a really good player. But if he's leading your team in goals, I mean, something's something's not right. I mean, I I just think it's so frustrating to watch for the Saves. I love Buffalo. I'm a huge Bills guy, um, and I just uh, I would have loved to see them take a step. I honestly thought I was going to wake up this morning and Twitter see Twitter. Uh, Granado fired. I think it's coming here soon. Kevin Adams has that bullet in the chamber that he can use. And I've played for, I played for a long time. I coaching isn't always the issue, but sometimes you have to shake it up and something's got to change in Buffalo. Yeah. So the interesting thing I'm, I'm, I'm happy you kind of led me there. Cause with DJ Smith in Ottawa, you know, I, I think they were happy to hire him as a coach, but he felt like a coach kind of your standard part of the puzzle there. But Granado has always felt like a little more than that in Buffalo, right? He came on as the interim, but then they seemed to love him there. It felt like he was almost, you know, I don't want to overstate this, but he was part of that leadership group if you want to call it that with Adams like it feels like that'd be and I I agree with you it seems like they have to do something there but it feels to me like that'd be a little different than the Sens firing DJ Smith where it's a new owner it's a new GM Granado felt like the guy they wanted to be the one to to lead them out of this and that's why I think it's probably a little harder for them to to pull the trigger than it was with the Sens and DJ yeah 100% the Ottawa one is so confusing to me and I think I'll say that they're the most frustrating, but to be honest, guys, I grew up in Toronto. I'm kind of loving this tire fire <laughs> in Ottawa right now. Uh, but it's clear that these guys lo- really love DJ. And I, on my pod, I talked to Brady Kachuk earlier in the year, and like he talked about the influence that he had 
on their team. And I just watched them play the other night, especially in Vegas. And I'm like, this team has no structure. They're just, they look like 20 different guys out there. Everyone's playing a different system. And it was, it's just so, yeah, frustrating to watch. And so that's a situation where I, I truly don't know what's going on. Cause Edmonton's one I looked at earlier this year where I could just tell. And maybe I'm closer to that team. And I played for Woody and played with some of the guys on Edmonton. But it was clear to me, it was like, these guys are not listening to Woody anymore. Like he, they're, they are clearly tuning him out. And they need a change. And I, I truly don't really care about coach like coaching cycles. I think if as soon as you start to see a coach kind of lose the room like that, get somebody in there who's gonna you know get in their ears. But for Ottawa, I just I know they like them, but they're, they're not listening to them, right? Mm-hmm. So it's it's just a a frustrating one. But I, I same thing with Buffalo too. I I, I truly thought I, I really liked. I, I like Renato. I like his kind of composure on the bench. And um, I, I think it's a similar situation where, I, I don't know, I don't know if they're tuning him out because I think they like him, but uh, Ottawa is the most perplexing for me. Yeah, a couple of teams with with similar expectations. Like, not yeah, don't be in the middle of your Stanley Cup window, but, you know, be in the mix as far as the playoffs are concerned and both teams at the very bottom of the Eastern Conference standing. So it, it feels like a matter of time, whether it happens before Christmas or, or maybe they give Don Granato like a little stay of execution here. And I guess it's possible they could go on a run, but it feels like his, his time in Buffalo is done. If he's in fact fired, he'll be the fifth head coach fired in season this season, not including Mike Babcock, who was fired before the season. So maybe you can make the argument there's been, there's going to be six here before maybe New Year's or like in and around New Year's. Is it embarrassing for the league? Like, is that part of of the NHL now? Is that any head coach as good as they've 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 uh, as good a run as they've had? That it is a league that that front offices that ownership is is very quick to pull the trigger on firing a head coach. Oh, I was kind of on that side, and I'm starting to lean towards shorter coaching cycles. To be honest, like I think I think we have. Uh, a tendency and a history in hockey and in the NHL to hold on to coaches for way too long. And I'm starting to see the benefit more and more of, I know it's just a short new coaching bump that usually happens, but I think there is a true benefit to bringing in a new voice. And I've spoken about this a couple of times, especially um, going through it a couple of times myself and having a new coach. And I had one come in mid year and had one come in in the summer. And, you know, sometimes as a, player the the voice just gets stale and you can be sitting there in the dressing room and the same guy is just yelling the same things at you over and over and whether it's not even yelling whether it's whether it's kind of trying to teach but it I don't know it's it's it can just get old after a while and when you got keep guys on their toes I also think that too I, th- I think guys start to get really complacent and guys get complacent in their roles on and off the ice on teams if a guy is killing penalties he knows that he has kind of a relationship with the coach and he's going to be the first out out of of the bench uh, on the penalty kill guys will get a little complacent and uh i i don't mind them rolling it over a little shorter now i i'm i'm kind of starting to lean on that side um because i've seen some of the benefits that it can have keeping keeping guys on their toes a little bit 
Yeah, it's the, the Elliot Friedman line he always likes that's really Larry Bird's line of three years and I'm out. You know, maybe you can do it for longer. But uh, after that, the voice can get a little a little strained. Uh, so as you mentioned, you spent some time with McDavid early on in, in his career there. And, you know, I don't think anybody has any expectations for the Blackhawks. I think everybody says, all right, uh, Connor Bedard, go do your thing and we'll we'll see you all at the draft lottery next year. And then maybe you can begin to build. But in McDavid's second season, the Oilers won a playoff round and went to a game seven uh, against the Ducks. You know, how quickly do the Blackhawks owe it to Bedard to put a real team around him there? And, you know, I know you can't just snap your fingers and become competent in the NHL. Lord knows some teams have been trying. We just talked about Buffalo and Ottawa. But how, how much does having a guy who is, you know, not a nice player, he's not Jack Hughes, he's truly, truly special here from the jump, how much does that increase the impetus of them to not just slowly build but actually get this thing moving pretty soon? Yeah, it's it's tough to watch. And I spend a lot of time in the studio, and we watch a lot of hockey, and Chicago's the team that I watch, and I just – I I don't laugh, but I'm like, like this is so painful, and they're just so to a man, to a player, they're so outmatched every game, and even going into Edmonton last week, and Connor goes down, Connor Bedard, that is, goes down early in the first and scores an absolutely beautiful goal with that vintage patented release, and then their team just falls apart and he looks like he's on an island out there and good on the kid he does not show his frustration every now and then you'll see little you know spurts of it but in no way is his body language or his not mannerisms is he pouting or you know dragging his tail behind his legs but yeah they brought in taylor hall and he gets hurt um and then the perry things perry things happen and Thank goodness for Nick Foligno. He's really, I feel like he is the veteran keeping the ship together there, but yeah. they, they got to get some guys in there because night after night, this is just getting uglier and uglier and I'll give them credit. They compete like they work. Luke Richardson has those guys working. They just, they don't have enough. They're just so outmatched every night. It's clear that they have a plan that this kind of, I, I don't know if this is where they want to go now, but they have about six guys out because of injury, and it's not going to get any better for them. But I, I really hope they make some strides, especially I don't think it's going to happen until the summer. I think they're completely content with losing however many games it's going to be this season. Um, but it, I, I really do think they owe it to the kid because he looks like he's on an island out there most nights. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and at least he can unlock his car from his phone when he's in Chicago, right? <laughs> That's crazy technology. Yeah. Wow, wow. Unbelievable. Uh, Luke, uh, appreciate the time. Thanks for this. Yeah, anytime, guys. There's Luke uh, Gazdick, former NHL forward, sports and NHL analyst, host of the Mitsoff podcast. <laughs> Who would be the funniest? But like, could you, like, your, your dad, imagine being like, hey, dad, just text me your car key. Uh-huh. You should say that to him <laughs> and just to see what happens inside his brain. I, I mean... I'm not, I might do I'm, that with my mom. I'm not worried about this, but this is a thing that can happen. That people can like, if you leave your car keys close to your front door, yeah, people can come by. And, oh, like, I know. Honest, I'm not. I don't. I don't drive like a Bentley, so I'm. I'm fine with like the risk I'm yeah. taking. I don't even generally lock my car in the driveway. Okay. But like the idea that we can text your key information, like I'm how out. is this not going to result in just a wave of car thievery? <laughs> I was going to say, I feel like there's a lot of dudes that have been doing work in the GTA lately who are thinking, mm, that's good. Keep texting your car key yeah, to right. everybody. This is good for business, I think. Yeah. yeah I don't know. Uh, so the Athletic okay. just released oh its uh, updated NHL season projections. Okay, using the old fancy stats, mm. the, the fancy of fancy fancy stats. Yeah, Dom, um, he loves them. 
So the Toronto Maple Leafs, mm-hmm. despite being second in the Atlantic Division, just losing in regulation to the New York Rangers, have the second highest chance of winning the Stanley Cup, according to the Athletic. So that the Bruins are at twelve percent, and according to the metrics they use yep. at the Athletic, Maple Leafs are second at ten percent. They have a fifty-eight percent chance of being in the division final, 31% chance of the conference final, (laughs) and uh, 17% Stanley Cup final uh, draw, and then 10% winning the Stanley Cup. I feel like this is something we've heard before. I know that it is just math, and math can't be biased, but they should not tease me like that so close to Christmas, telling me all those percentage chance things of the Leafs doing good things. Yeah. It's mean. Don't Again, give it to me. I, I feel like we've heard that before. Yeah. Uh, and at last check, it has not resulted in a Stanley Cup final mm-hmm. for the uh, Toronto Maple Leafs. Or, right. you know, more than winning one round. That's true. All right. We'll be back tomorrow. This has been the Fan Morning Show. Ben Ennis, Brent Gunning, Sportsnet 590 The Fan. Good, Good morning. morning.